Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast, where two sisters, Jess and Rye, focused on health and hormone balance to help you step into that 2.0 version of you. Growing up, we heard all about hormones, sometimes more than we wanted, from our mom, who is a hormone health educator. As we got older, we rebelled and experienced our own health struggles and ups and downs. But today we have businesses helping people get in tune with their bodies, break free from restrictive eating and lifestyle habits, and learn how to balance their hormones naturally. So what can you expect from this podcast? Honest conversations and hot topics that should be more mainstream, like period health, cycle tracking, non-hormonal birth control, and our unique take on fad diets and trends that aren't always so supportive for women. Plus, interviews with health and wellness entrepreneurs making a big impact in the world. Ladies, it's time we align with our powers and redefine what healthy means to us. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Jess Dukan, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. And normally, I'm joined by my amazing co-host, my sister, Rye Birch, who is the co-founder of our family business, Your Hormone Balance. But today, I am flying solo with our special guest, Mike Milner, who has been a high-level nutrition coach for over 10 years and is also the host of the popular podcast, Mind Over Macros. I wanted to have Mike on today not only because I'm a huge fan of his podcast, which is an awesome blend of science and practical application in the fitness and nutrition world, but because there's a lot of parallels between his story and my own, especially when it comes down to our history with extreme dieting, binging patterns, orthorexia, and a history of hormonal imbalances as well. I also love that he uses his own experiences going from yo-yo dieting to healing his relationship with food and finally seeing physique results that were sustainable without having to go to extreme measures to ultimately become a coach and help others do the same thing. And in this episode, he really dives into his story and how he got to the place that he is today. I really loved having a male perspective on this topic, and I admire Mike for creating such an awesome community of support for people who want to improve their relationship with food and their bodies while also making progress towards their physique goals. And I think this is important because I am seeing two very opposite ends of the spectrum in the wellness and fitness space online, one that is very anti-diet, intuitive eating-based, and the other that is centered more around extreme diets and an emphasis on body goals and a dream, and achieving a quote-unquote dream body. And really where I land is somewhere in the middle. I, I do believe that it's completely fine and healthy to have physique goals as long as they come from a healthy, loving mindset with a balanced and abundant approach that's really focused on taking action from a place of how we want to feel first versus just how we want to look or a number on the scale. And I really feel like Mike and I are on the same page when it comes to this. So in this episode, he talks about the foundational habits that are so integral to achieving any health and fitness goals like mindset, proper sleep, movement, and mindfulness, as well as how to use macro tracking as a tool for achieving physique goals without turning it into just another diet and the ways in which it can actually improve that relationship with food in your body. We also touch on his thoughts around fad diets like carnivore and keto and so much more. We could have talked forever. Mike truly has a gift for understanding the psychological and physiological needs of his clients, which has led to thousands of success success stories. He also has certified over 400 coaches on his personality-based approach with an emphasis on mindset and is quickly becoming one of the leading experts on goal achievement. So you can see by now why I wanted to have him on the podcast. I cannot wait for you to tune into this episode. 
And I hope that you'll take a screenshot and tag us in your Instagram stories. You can tag us at solo 2.0 podcast. You can tag Mike at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, which I'll put in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you're liking the podcast so far, or even just this episode, please take a moment to leave us a rating review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and so that we can reach more amazing listeners like you. And in our last episode, which was just about 15 minutes long, Rye broke down the four new episode styles that we're going to be switching to and alternating between in future episodes. And we would really love your feedback on which style resonates most with you. We think it's going to be just a great way of continuing to grow this podcast, to touch on topics that maybe aren't talked about as much in the space, and to really provide a lot of value and support and helping you get after that 2.0 version of yourself. So if you wouldn't mind going over to share your feedback on our latest Instagram post at Solo 2.0 Podcast, you will have the opportunity to win an awesome Ultimate Electrolyte Bundle, and you can even DM us if you would rather share your feedback that way. But if you want to hear more detail about these four episode styles, you can go back to our most recent episode and hear a whole breakdown. So I feel like I've said episode 10 times in the last minute, but you get, you get the drift. So anyway, that all being said, let's welcome our guest, Mike Milner to the show. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, Mike. There's multiple reasons. Um, I love your story. I actually want to learn a lot more about it in this conversation, but I really relate to you and the wellness journey that you had and kind of how it led you to the work that you do today, helping so many people. I'm also a big fan of your podcast. I really love the approach that you take helping people with their physique goals, but also focusing on their mental health because I think the mindset piece is just as important, if not more important. So with that all said, I want to start by going back to your origin story and just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your family life, and maybe the role that nutrition and fitness played in your life in those early stages. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And um, I think, you know, I always start with the context of I grew up an athlete because uh, my family dynamic was such that pretty much everybody in my family suffered from some level of body image issues, disordered eating from very severe to minor, but there was, it was, it was apparent, it was obvious. And I always considered myself the lucky one because I was athletic. I was always playing sports and I never had to worry about what I was eating. And I, I like remember family dinners out where it's just like, I, I don't understand why people don't just eat what they want and be happy. And, you know, it was such a young, naive kid, but I, my oldest sister uh, almost lost her life to anorexia. I remember my mom always being on diets and counting points and always being focused on weight. And my other sister, I'm the youngest of three. My other sister had some body image issues and some disordered eating tendencies. And I just always thought, well, because I'm active, because I play sports, I'm just fortunate because I have this fast metabolism. You know, I was typical, um, you know, kind of eighties kid, nineties kid. Um, I'm almost 40. So I'll I'll just throw my age out there Um, (laughs) where I was eating a lot of, you know, fast food. And it was like, you know, fruit snacks and gushers and all of this stuff that I was eating and never really thinking anything of it because 
I didn't have to worry about my weight until I went through college, still played sports. And then after college was over, I gained a very significant amount of weight in a very short amount of time. And it was like all of the things that I saw in my family happening that I thought that I was not susceptible to, it all kind of came to a head and came um, with a vengeance, really. And I had a horrible relationship with my body. I, I remember waking up and going into the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror and truly not recognizing myself. I'm talking probably about 80 pounds of, of weight gain in about a year and a half. And I just didn't recognize the person that I was looking at. And my solution was, okay, well, I need to get back to being me, which my interpretation of that meant losing the weight as fast as humanly possible. So I didn't know any better. I no education around nutrition or health or anything like that. So I just started doing kind of what I witnessed, which was uh, dieting and restriction, uh, 1200 calorie meal plans, doing hours of cardio. And um, pretty much I was like <laughs> any diet marketer, I was like their prime suspect. It was like, you promised me fast results and I'll, I'll pay the money. Sign me up. If it was a pill, if it was a, you know, I paid for like Metafast back when that was a thing, which now I think it's um, Optavia, but it, it, literally anything that said you can lose 30 pounds in three weeks or you can lose 20 pounds in 10 days. It didn't matter how extreme the promise was. I would sign up for it and I would try it and I would lose some weight and I would gain it all back and I would rinse and repeat that cycle and uh, really always blamed myself. And I always felt like I wasn't disciplined enough. I wasn't, I didn't have enough willpower. I wasn't trying hard enough. So I just stayed in that cycle for the better part of a decade. And uh, it was just various forms of the same thing. How could I restrict? And uh, then I move on to the next thing. After I gained all the weight back again, um, I would sign up for the next challenge or the next diet or whatever it was that I was doing. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a, about 10 years of kind of mental and physical torture that I, I didn't actually realize at the time that there would be kind of uh, damage that was done that would still impact me. Now I have a thyroid issue. Um, I'm still hypothyroid because of a lot of the damage that I did to my metabolism and my hormone health and, um, you know, ended up with, you know, kind of going through uh, some, some rude awakenings from that process that, uh, fortunately, I was able to make a lot of changes to uh, heal my relationship with food and with my body and find a, a place of, of balance and peace and acceptance. And then kind of going through that process myself, as as many of us do, we realize uh, it would be nice if some people avoided the same mistakes that I made. And and that was what led me to want to want to pay it forward and coach others. And I've been doing that uh, for now. It's been I think close to 12 years. I started as a personal trainer. I found my passion in nutrition. Uh, I started coaching uh, as a nutrition coach for another company. And then I started my own business a little over five years ago. And um, that kind of brings us to, to where we're at today. Wow. It's crazy how many parallels we have in our stories. And I can just relate to you on so many levels. And I think it's really cool that you open up and share as a man, as a male figure too, because I think that we're so used to hearing these stories from females in the space as, and not as much from males. And it's interesting. Um, I don't know if your dad was in the picture, you didn't mention him, but um, did he have any type of influence over, you know, you getting into sports and was there ever any pressure from your family to be like really physically fit or active? 
Yeah. So it's a, it's a great question. Um, my dad and I are, are close. We're very close both with both of my parents. Um, I have a great relationship with both of them. I would say that I think they very much grew up in the like diet era of like, you know, spray butter and low fat everything. And then it was low carb everything. And um, I, I think that there was, I think I, my sisters really took on the brunt of the pressure that they unintentionally put on them. I think that, you know, it was more societal, I think. And just my mom, you know, struggled with her weight. And like I mentioned, she kind of always remember her being on a diet and counting points and things like that and struggling. And I think that, that was kind of passed down to my sisters more than it was to me. I think that I, um, probably because I'm man and probably because of, you know, just the double standard in our society. But I think that pressure was less on me and more on them. And so there, I don't think that I had any, like my getting into athletics, being, you know, playing sports, it was, uh, you know, my dad was a really good athlete as well. He was a division one tennis player and really good basketball player. And, um, you know, I played tennis and basketball and soccer and, uh, so there was that bond that we had. Um, he coached a lot of my teams when I was younger. And uh, so I, I never felt pressure to play sports. It was always something that I just naturally gravitated to. Um, and I definitely never felt pressure to to look a certain way. I think that ultimately, um, when I ended up significantly overweight, I, I put the pressure on myself because I attached my identity so much in being an athlete that I felt ashamed of seeing people that I hadn't seen in a while. like. Had a close group of high school friends and I didn't want to go home and see them because I knew that it was like in my mind, I identify as this athlete and this certain, you know, image that I have. And all I could think about was all the things that they would say, like, how did you let yourself go? How did this happen to you? Like I, and I would make up all these scenarios and, and then I was even embarrassed. Like, well, I don't want to go step on a tennis court. I don't want to go play basketball because I don't even know what I'm capable of right now being 80 pounds overweight. Um, so it was, it was really like an identity crisis that I felt like needed to be fixed as fast as possible, which is the irony is the faster we try to repair that, the, the, usually the longer it takes because we take extreme measures that are unsustainable, which is exactly what I did. Um, but it, it got really bad to the point of, um, I was, you know, orthorexic. I was obsessed with clean eating for, for a long time. I was obsessed with tracking every single, you know, bite of food that I put in my mouth and, could not go out. I would cancel plans all the time just so I could stay home with my, you know, chicken and broccoli. Uh, I would tell friends that I they would want to go out. Hey, let's go to the bar. Let's go hang out. Let's go have dinner. Oh, I can't. I'm not feeling well. And I would just stay home and and eat my my plain chicken and broccoli. And I thought that it was in the name of health. And um, so it did. Things got pretty bad. Uh, but I don't think that the pressure was really uh, from my parents. I think that. I think again, my, my, I think my sisters had it a little bit harder than I did. Yeah, I know that's super interesting. And also just what you said about you being kind of embarrassed and ashamed of what other people would think of you, because I, I do see that being, you know, a trend sometimes with people, the, the why behind the weight loss, um, coming from the fear of rejection or, um, not being loved or, you know, so many times I've heard people say like, I don't think I'll be able to meet, you know, the man of my dreams or the woman of my dreams until I've lost the weight. Um, and 
you know, putting so much pressure on ourselves because of that out, because we want that outside validation. We don't want to be shamed and we want to fit in. I mean, I think a lot of it comes to wanting, comes down to wanting to fit in and to be accepted by our peers. And that can be why we go to these extremes. Like I want to do it quickly because why? Because I want to be accepted by my friends. I want to go out on the tennis court and not have people think that I'm out of shape. I want to go on a beach vacation and have a bathing be in a bathing suit and not have people looking at, you know, my fat pockets or whatever. Is it really for us and us wanting to feel the best version of ourselves? Because if it were, maybe we would go about it in a healthier, more loving, sustainable way. And so I'm curious when was the shift where you, you know, said, okay, kind of like I came to this realization in my journey, like enough is enough. What was the point in your journey where you decided that these really restrictive diets, um, this meticulous tracking wasn't working for you and how did you learn to take a different approach? Yeah. So it kind of all slapped me in the face when I was, I was previously married. I'm now since remarried and my my ex-wife, um, we were having relationship issues. A lot of it was because of my obsession with with food and uh, my body dysmorphia, body image issues. It definitely spilled over into my relationships, multiple relationships, not just with my wife at the time, but with my family and friends. And like I mentioned, just like I would, I would bail on family events and I would bail on my friends and um, you know, my wife and I, or my ex-wife, we would travel a lot and we love to go to see different places and experience different cultures and go out. And all that stuff was like put on hold just because I was so obsessed with losing weight. And so there was kind of like this rift. And I remember at our, I was sitting at her house and she was like, you know what? I'm not going to wait around for you. Like, I'm going to go out anyway. This was like a random like Saturday night. She's like, Hey, do you want to go out and like grab a couple of drinks? And I was like, no, I don't want to. I'm not feeling up to it. And she was like, you know what? I'm I'm kind of getting sick of this. And like, I'm going to go out anyway. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'll stay here. And I realized that I was going to be alone. And I was like, you know what? All these, like everything that I say I want, I kind of had this like reflection as I'm like sitting on the couch, like the things that I say that I value, the things that I say verbally that I value our relationships and family and friendships and all these things that I'm literally pushing away one by one. And it just kind of all hit me. Like it was like a wave crashed over me. It's like, I'm going to lose the things that I say are the most meaningful to me. And if they are, if it's really about family, if it's really about friendships, if it's really about relationships, I'm, I'm tearing them apart one by one because I'm so obsessed. Like, I, so what am I going to do? Like marry my chicken and broccoli? Like this doesn't make any sense. It was, and it was just that sometimes the, the wake up call just happens for whatever reason. And I started to think back at all the things that I had tried and it, and it all seemed so obvious. It was like literally everything that I've done up until this point has been a dressed up version of the same thing. It's just been another way of depriving myself, of starving myself. And I was like, there, that can't be the solution. There has to be another way. And I, I do have a very obsessive personality and, and tendencies, <laughs> which um, should be relatively apparent based off of my my dieting background. But I, I use that person positive in 
I was not going to stop until I learned everything that I possibly could about nutrition and human metabolism and psychology and behavior change and goal achievement. And I just kind of dove in head first and I, I became kind of like obsessed with different courses and certifications and wanting to understand how it all worked. And, and I, that became my new obsession. And, um, that kind of led me to, to, to get into, um, personal training as, as like the first step is getting my foot in the door and, um, and then ultimately into nutrition. But yeah, it was just, it was recognizing that the rock bottom moment for me was realizing that I was going to be left with nothing if I kept going down that path. Wow. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to make and just aligning. It seems like you wanted to realign with your core values again, and it seemed like you were maybe suppressing a part of yourself. Um, which I can relate to when I was at my lowest of lows, I felt like I wasn't able to fully express who I was. And I felt like I was becoming this really uptight version of myself. And I had a meltdown that I'll never, it's like the epic meltdown in our family story of like going out to dinner for my sister's birthday. And at the time I was doing this really restrictive diet for this weight loss company that I actually worked for at the time. And on their do not eat list were things like carrots and onions because they have too much sugar, quote unquote. And my family ordering a very healthy side dish that had carrots and onions in them. And me, my parents at the time were doing the same diet that I was. And I just exploded on them. Like, seriously, you guys, we're going to eat carrots and onions. Like this isn't part of the plan. And it's my sister's birthday. And I have this meltdown and, you know, we proceed to go get her a chocolate from a chocolate store, um, chocolate shop for her birthday afterwards. And I had another meltdown about how we're not supposed to be eating sweets and why are we sabotaging ourselves? And it's really sad looking back on it, but it became all about me. And I had an epic meltdown in my car with my mom and really opened up to them about just how low I was and how I just felt so restricted. And I just felt like jealous of them essentially i was like how can you guys just not care like you're just enjoying these carrots that are high in sugar and you're having a piece of chocolate and they weren't even you know with them you know i look at them and they weren't binging and restricting they were practicing mindfulness and balance and being present and i'm just curious from your standpoint like did you ever have any moments like that where you're just like who am i like this is i mean you you alluded to that but like moments where it was like, this isn't, I'm not even being the person that I, that I want to be. Yeah, completely. And it's funny that you mentioned carrots and onions because I did a, a new year, new you challenge. It was like a six week challenge. And, um, and my ex-wife and I had joined it. Cause it was like, you, you team up with somebody and it's whoever lost, like whichever team lost the most amount of weight combined would win. And I think the prize was like $2,500. So it was at the time, I'm like, we're going to win this. We're going to get that money. And I pretended like it was about the the prize, but really it was just an excuse to indulge my disordered behaviors. And immediately she like, she was doing it and was like kind of into it. And then was like, this is so dumb. I'm not doing this because there was an approved foods list and a not approved foods list. And on the not approved foods list was carrots and apple. So I always say like, I was prepping for that. And I'm like at the grocery store and I'm all excited. I'm like, I'm going to get all these food. I'm looking at the list. I'm like, wow, that's so crazy. I didn't know 
that carrots and apples were unhealthy, I guess. And I didn't even think to question it. It was just like, I guess they're unhealthy, so I can't have carrots and apples. <laughs> but uh-huh. anyway, so it, like the the moments of of being like, who am I? A lot of times it was when I would, you know, I, I like I mentioned, I have this close group of high school friends. Unfortunately, we're still very close to this day. We still talk every single day and not not seeing them for for lengths of time because of my own obsession with food and my body and feeling like I I had to do this and I had to make these sacrifices. And it was that those were the moments where it like created this internal conflict. And I think this happens to a lot of people when you have your espoused values, the things that you say you want and your values in action, the things that you do, and there is a disconnect, it creates an internal stress, internal conflict. And sometimes you don't actually know where it's coming from. You just feel off. You don't, something's not right. And most of the time it's that it's the things that you're saying and the things that you're doing are not matching up. And I think that it's like this low grade stressor that often goes unnoticed. And until you align those things and you're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Uh, and then it, it usually shines a light on the things that you were doing. And, and I always say, if, you're, if your words and your actions aren't aligning, you have two choices. You can change your words, you can change your actions. Um, changing my words would have meant saying that my friends aren't important, saying that you know relationships aren't important, my family's not important. I wasn't willing to do that. So I had to change the actions. Gosh, I love that so much. I, I think that's, that's a, a quote to write down and remember. So um, moving forward and having that realization, I know you said that you became a personal trainer and you did a lot of research. Um, in my experience, sometimes when we go down this new path, um, it can also, like you said, create this new obsession and almost like that information overload and that overwhelm of like, oh, what what's actually going to work for me? And I know for me, I tried a ton of different things when I was getting into holistic health because I wanted to learn about all of them. So then it almost became like a, another weird obsession with foods um, as I was trying to heal and repair my relationship with food. So how did you kind of come back home to your body and figure out what worked for you at that time? and what did that look like? What does what work for you mean to you? Yeah. So it started with going from one end of the extreme to the other. Um, so I went from orthorexic where I was so obsessed with clean eating and actually the challenge that I talked about that I couldn't eat carrots and apples. That really is what triggered it because I I was just like locked in on like, I can only eat these foods. And well after we didn't win the challenge, we didn't win the money, but I kept following this, this approved <laughs> foods list. And my oldest sister, who I mentioned, who had suffered from anorexia, she became an eating disorder specialist and is pretty well, well known. And, and, um, she took me to lunch one day and, um, asked if I had ever heard of orthorexia and and I got really defensive and I had never heard of it. She explained what it was and had a whole conversation with me. And I just, I'm just trying to be healthy and why can't you be supportive? And anyway, then that was like another moment where I recognized, you know, I, I knew that she was right. And I was just protecting myself from, from accepting the truth. And um, ultimately the other end of the extreme, as I started to do some research, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it's all about calories in versus calories out. And then I became an if it fits your macros person who was like, I went to the other end of like total rebellion. 
And I was like, I'm going to eat like donuts and cereal and Rice Krispie treats, and I'm still going to get lean. And I'm going to prove to everybody <laughs> and really to myself that you can you can improve your body composition eating whatever you want as long as you track your intake and you hit your calories and you hit your macros. And that's what I did. And I and I I made progress and I got leaner and I got more muscular and I was you know I was showing off my my post workout donuts and all the things and. Um, <laughs> The problem was I felt like shit. <laughs> I had horrible right. digestive issues and I was tired all the time and I wasn't sleeping well. And I didn't at all consider the fact that food quality matters and how you feel and all that stuff. So that was like the pendulum swung hard in the other direction. And then I was like, okay, if I don't feel good, even though like my physical body is improving, but like internally, I know that this is not right. I know that this isn't how I'm supposed to feel maybe quality is just as important, if not more important than quantity. And again, it's like continuing to learn more, continuing to go down um, the rabbit hole of like what metabolism actually is, not just looking at it through the lens of a calorie calculator, which it's not, but it's more of a stress barometer and registering like it just wants to keep you alive. So it makes sense that your metabolism would be looking at the inputs and outputs of stress and using that to send hormonal signals. And that's more uh, what it actually looks like. And that got me to a place of just understanding uh, what makes me feel my best when it comes to eating quality foods, how to incorporate foods in moderation that I enjoy that are not going to be a daily thing. Um, you know, sometimes like the daily treat is important. Uh, maybe it's a you know piece of chocolate every day, or maybe it's a weekly thing like ice cream every week. Um, but understanding what that looks like for me uh, and then the bulk of my food being you know, whole quality nutrient dense food sources and uh, understanding what it meant to support my metabolism, to support hormone health. And um, yeah, that that's just kind of how it all evolved. Yeah. So you mentioned if it fits your macros, which not everybody's probably um, familiar with, but you pretty much explained it. Like as long as uh, the food fits within your caloric goals and you're hitting your proteins, fats, and carbs by a certain percentage, then you're fine. You can eat whatever you want. And I know obviously the title of your podcast is Mind Over Macro. So you do believe in macro tracking and you do believe that it can be a really tool, a really great tool for helping people to achieve their not only physique goals, but also improve their hormonal health and their overall health and relationship with food. So I think that macros gets a really bad rap because so many people come from the disordered relationship with it like you did. And similarly, I did. I actually, when I first started coaching for the first probably five years, honestly, I was like, do not count calories, do not focus on macros because I had had such a shitty relationship with it myself. And I just associated it with obsession. And, you know, there was a point in my life where I was using my fitness pal so obsessively that I was trying to track every bite, lick and taste of food, even out at restaurants. And my husband grabbed my phone from me one night and was like, Jess, you have to stop. Like, let's just enjoy dinner. And so I was just so obsessed with the numbers. But to your point, I didn't focus on how the foods actually made me feel, um, the nutrient quality, how I was sleeping. You know, it was just focused on numbers. And now I see the beauty and the benefit of using macro tracking as a tool, but changing the narrative of how do you actually use it to support your body, to support your mindset, and to support forming a healthier relationship with food. So can you explain the difference? 
Yeah, for sure. I had a very similar experience. I was so obsessed with tracking macros. And uh, the first, my first experience as a coach was for a company where they would literally give you like a, a pass or fail on your macros. And the the margin of error was like plus or minus five grams. So wow. something could be like pretty dead on, right? And like, let's say they're like six grams over on their fats or whatever, but like everything else looks good. Um, they would get a fail. Like, and it, it was like your, your numbers would show up in red if you failed or they would show up in green if you did, you know, like if you passed. And but just associate, sorry to interrupt, but that to me is like, you're either good or you're bad. So then oh, we're yeah. associating, you know, we're, I'm good or I'm bad. So now it's like this mor- morality thing. 100%. And that shows a, a very lack of understanding of human psychology, where there's a strong correlation between dichotomous thinking around food, good versus bad, uh, and struggling with maintaining a healthy weight. Like this has been shown in research over and over again, people who view foods as good versus bad and have dichotomous thinking around food struggle more with maintaining a healthy weight. So it's basically like enforcing the fact that um, you should be viewing this as in terms of pass, fail, good, bad. Uh, Anyway, I I had to witness a lot of harm being done, which was really upsetting once I kind of understood why it was so harmful and what like the damage that it was creating, um, not just just physically, but really mentally. Um, But For me personally, that was my experience. So I took that and ran with it where I felt like I had to be perfect with tracking. I felt like I had to, you know, plus or minus five grams. I can't be, you know, off as, and I would, I would sit there and it would bother me if I was like two grams off, I would try to like play around with the numbers and see if I could get it to be perfect in my fitness pal. And, um, ultimately I did have to take a break because of similar things with like having anxiety when I would go out to eat and, um, again, just like different things that I noticed with my mood and well-being. And so I did take a break from tracking macros for a while. And that was, you know, when I kind of found the balance of quality and then moderation, and I reintroduced it and I was more flexible with it and I was not obsessive. And I recognized that like, you know, if I'm within a certain range, even if I completely like blow it out of the water one day. It's one day. It's okay. It's totally fine. I'm using this as uh, an awareness tool. And and when you call it a tool, I think that's the best way to define it because it's not the end all be all. It is a tool in the toolbox, which any tool can be used for good or can be used for bad. Like a hammer is really good for driving in a nail, but if you use it to hit yourself on the head, that's pretty ineffective. That's going (laughs) to hurt. It's like any tool can be used for good or bad. So it just depends on the context and it depends on the perspective. So once I found that there was a level of freedom and flexibility in tracking that, you know, I could give myself days where I'm not tracking. I could give myself meals where I'm not tracking. I can go out to eat at a restaurant and just use certain principles like protein and veggies at every meal. I'm going to get a quality carb source, some healthy fats. I'm good to go. I don't need to think about it. Or is this a meal where I don't even care about any of that? And I just want to like, the intent of the meal is to just be present and enjoy whatever it is that we're consuming. So it's, there's, there's a lot of layers to it, but I think ultimately it's understanding that macros are are used to create awareness. And if you're using it to be obsessive, then you're probably mismanaging the tool. If you are using it to ensure that you're eating enough, to ensure that you're getting in enough protein, to ensure that you're getting in enough fiber, all of a sudden, that's a really positive relationship with with tracking macros, and 
And then you find the level of freedom and flexibility that works for you. And everybody's going to be a little bit different. But for most of our clients, it's flexible tracking. They're not going to track seven days a week. Um, even if there's somebody who's like super data driven, they're like, no, I have to track. Well, we'll just start with an untracked meal just to see how you feel because we don't want you to be, you know, uh, married to my fitness pal for the rest of your life. We want that relationship to be something where it's there if you need it. If you know, it's kind of like establishing a budget for your finances. Once you kind of get the initial groundwork done and you know, all right, I'm bringing in this amount, I'm spending this amount. Here's what I'm putting into savings. Here's what I'm putting away for retirement. Like then it kind of runs on autopilot and you don't really need to look at the numbers diligently every single day. You have a little bit more freedom and flexibility uh, once you have that awareness created. Um, I'm not sure if that answered the question, but. Absolutely. And I have a few follow-up questions. So there's a lot of calculators out there where you can just type in your information and it will shoot out a set of macronutrients for you to follow to hit your goals, whether that's weight loss or wanting to put on muscle. What do you think about those calculators and how would you maybe help someone determine the right the right macronutrients for them, knowing that, and I'm assuming we're similar in the types of clients that we attract, but knowing that you probably do have a percentage of clients that are coming to you potentially under eating, um, and maybe it shoots out a number that's super, super low and unhealthy. Like how do we how do we figure out the right numbers for us? And I know that that's kind of a complex question, but like the basics have to get started. Sure. So I think they're largely useless. Um, most calculators are largely useless. And and the reason is because they have no insight into where you're at and what you're currently doing, other than they'll ask you some questions about like activity level and, you know, age, weight, height, things like that. Um, and so it's unreasonable to assume that every single individual who's like the same height, weight, age, activity level should be eating the same number of calories. Like we, sh- we should understand that there's individual variants across the board that we're all different. Our metabolisms are different. And again, if we understand that metabolism is just a stress barometer, there's going to be a number of different stressors for each individual that we're talking about. So for the most part, I find them to be pretty useless because again, like even if it was like the perfect number under the ideal circumstances for whatever person we're talking about. If that individual is chronically under eating, then we got to start where they're at. Like if I have somebody who's coming to me and the calculator says they should be eating 2000 calories a day, but they're actually eating a thousand, we're not just going to jump from a thousand to 2000 um, because mentally they're not going to be in that place to, you know, to do that. And there's probably going to be a, you know, a substantial amount of weight gain early on in that process. So what's more important is learn where you are. Start with where you're at. That's that's the best place to begin. Instead of looking at a calculator, just don't change anything and track what you're currently doing and take inventory of what you're currently doing. And that's the most effective place to start because if you get an idea of where you're currently at, then we know what the next step can be depending on your goals. So again, for the person, let's say they track and they're like, well, I'm eating 1200 calories a day, but this calculator tells me I should be eating 2000 um, well, let's find out what you actually should be eating by gradually increasing your intake over time and seeing how your body responds, which is a way better gauge of, of what's real is in real time. How is your body responding? How are you feeling? Let's look at your biofeedback, your energy levels, your hunger, your mood, your cravings, your sex drive, digestion. Um, is your, is your body responding well to that increase? Okay, great. Let's take another increase and assess. How are you responding physically? Are you seeing 
you know, body composition changes or your clothes fitting better, um, things like that. So the, the short answer is start with where you're at, take inventory of where you're at. And then, you know, what, it, what's the next step or do we need to increase? Do we need to decrease? And that's obviously going to depend on each situation, but I do typically work with clients who are more prone to under eating, um, where it's, it's a lot of restrict and binge yo-yoing where if we just kind of get them into a more consistent place of increasing what they think uh they're eating and and getting that place of balance their body typically responds really well and they feel a lot better pretty quickly yes okay so you said something that i want to hit on there so you said what they think they're eating so a lot of these clients that come to you or to I chronically under eating, maybe eating 1,100, 1,200 calories. Now you mentioned that you're going to gradually increase their calories, seeing how they're feeling, measuring their biofeedback, and that potentially you mentioned their body composition improving and maybe even seeing weight loss. Well, if we need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight, how does that work? And I'm kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Um, but how does that work? And is it because they actually need to increase more calories? And I know it depends on each person. Um, or is it potentially that, um, you know, they're restricting so much during a specific time period, maybe Monday through Thursday, and then binging on the other days that they're actually in a surplus or is it actually that most of the time they do need to increase their calories overall, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's yeah, a great question. Uh, so what I found is that most of the time, and there's definitely some exceptions to this, uh, what I call mentally dieting, but physically not, which is the worst place to be where yeah. mentally dieting is I'm trying to eat 1200 calories a day. I'm trying to restrict I can't have carbs. Like there's all these mental rules that you're placing on yourself and you're trying so hard to be disciplined and it lasts Monday through Thursday or even Monday through Friday. Uh, and then the wheels come flying off and then you're physically not dieting because a lot of times the binge will offset all that hard work. And it, it still feels like you're dieting because mentally you're there, you're, you're restricting, you're eliminating certain foods. And then after the binge, you feel really guilty and you're like, all right, I got to do better. I got to try harder. And you start the cycle all over again. So you're mentally in a diet all the time. And, and a lot of women that we work with, they, the 10, 20, 30 years mentally dieting, but not physically dieting and feeling really frustrated that I'm trying so hard, but it's just not working. I'm not seeing any progress. Um, so in, in those cases, when you increase calories, you're increasing consistency at a higher calorie amount which overall on a weekly basis and really like the weekly averages are what matter the most, you're actually eating less. So because of the, let's say it was 1200 calories Monday through Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday were like 3,500 calories or more. Um, or maybe you had one day that was like 5,000 calories. Um, and the other days were, you know, two, 3,000. And it, it takes you into a surplus or at maintenance or whatever it may be. So it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I can eat, you know, 1800 calories and lose weight. It's like, yeah, because you're actually fueling adequately enough every day. You don't feel the need to binge. Nothing's off limits. You actually are supporting your metabolism and your energy levels and, and, you know, proper digestion and reducing stress. Like it's basically taking an accumulation of stress every day of the week. So you're stressing your body by chronically under eating four days or five days out of the week. And then on the other two to three days, you're stressing your body by overconsumption. And, and either way, it's a stressor if you're 
chronically overeating or chronically undereating, but having two ends of the extreme and rinsing and repeating that cycle is, is probably the worst thing that you can do for your metabolism. So oftentimes the reason why people quote unquote eat more and lose weight is because they're just more consistent at that calorie amount versus um, actually, you know, for there are instances where there's somebody can really stay meticulous with like 1200 calories and there's a certain level of uh, metabolic downregulation that happens or adaptation that happens where we kind of have to restore homeostasis and and get their metabolism firing again. And in that case, you know, that's, that's a different situation than the one that I'm talking about, but most of the time it's mentally dieting, but physically not. And more calories helps them stay more consistent. Yeah. I just think that that's a really important distinction. And I am grateful to you for kind of explaining that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that of the the binge restrict mentality, the all or nothing, the yo-yo and consistency really is key. And we just hear that over and over again, but it's, it makes the biggest difference. So for the people that, you know, to your point are chronically, are actually chronically under eating and you, they need to support a healthier metabolism and upregulate hormones. I know you had talked about, um, you had, um, did you say that you had Hashimoto's or you have Hashimoto's? I do. Yes. So for those who, you know, have chronically dieted, that also can downregulate the thyroid, right? And can lead to an underactive thyroid or Hashimoto's. I mean, not Hashimoto's is a different diagnosis, but it can lead to an underactive thyroid, which can make it harder to to lose the weight and to keep it off. And it can also downregulate other hormones. So for those people, um, are you speaking about like a reverse diet where you are gradually increasing their calories and not focusing on fat loss, focusing on restoring homeostasis, and then at a later date when their body feels safe, then going into a calorie deficit? Yep, exactly. Yeah, so um, there's going to be a point where if you continue to restrict yourself and you're you're really eating too little and staying very consistent with that, uh, your body only cares about one thing and that's survival. And it does not care how you want to look. It doesn't care about anything other than keeping you alive. And it does a really good job at that. So if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, if food is scarce and that's the signal that you're sending when you're dieting, when you're, when you're not eating enough, the signal is food is scarce and famine might be present. It doesn't make sense to have a really fast roaring metabolism because you would starve to death quicker. So the downregulation is is a survival thing. And it's also going to preserve energy from other systems and processes in the body, which is why you see, you know, like with with women losing your your menstrual cycle, um, sex hormone downregulation, uh, your immune system's gonna be depressed. There's all these various systems that's all in the name of preserving energy. It's like all hands on deck. There's, there's a famine present. We're not getting enough energy coming in. We need to preserve energy and downregulate metabolism. So in, in those situations, the only solution is the opposite, which is we have to make sure that your body knows that food is available and energy is available. So that's where a reverse diet, getting calories up um, gradually over time, and also trying to remove stress from other areas. Maybe it's switching to, um, you know, reducing the amount of cardio you're doing, doing a little more walking and a couple of days a week of strength training. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of people are often shocked when you pull back on exercise and you eat more and your body responds. But again, if you understand the stress balance kind of 
uh, you know, lens, then it makes a lot of sense how your body's actually responding. It has to feel safe. Otherwise it's going to stay in that preservation mode. Yeah. So for you having a Hashimoto's diagnosis, um, what are some of the things that you do? Cause you know, we can hear, I also worked with women that have overactive or sorry, an underactive thyroid or Hashimoto's. And they do say that it's harder for them to lose weight. So for those that have a thyroid condition that makes it a little bit harder to lose weight, something that you can relate to, are there changes? Like, are there things that you had to do much differently than other people when it comes to weight loss? Yeah. So I have to be really mindful of stress and I have to be mindful of, um, food sensitivities, uh, gluten and dairy were big triggers for me. I had to figure that out. And, you know, with, uh, thyroid antibodies, when you have Hashimoto's, you're going to have significantly elevated thyroid antibodies, um, which is a whole nother topic because most routine blood work don't, they don't even look at anything other than TSH and they're just not really going to give you much insight into what's happening. Um, so I had to get and like really demand that I get a full thyroid panel knowing that something was wrong, but they're like, no, you have to have more symptoms in order for us to run these other labs. Otherwise we can't do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. I have this, like, I just had to make up. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, okay, now it makes sense. I have very high thyroid antibodies. Um, and gluten is something that will, um, elevate my antibodies even more. So, um, I should be very strict gluten-free. I'm pretty good. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to do it and I know what it's going to do. I know the impact that it's going to have, and I have to make that choice. Um, dairy is not as bad, but it's also something that I, uh, have to be mindful of. So it's un understanding intolerances that I have, understanding stress, I can't stay in a deficit for very long. Um, and my, my metabolism is, is very, um, responsive in both directions. So when I, when I eat less, my, my metabolism downregulates very quickly. And when I eat more, it upregulates pretty quickly as well, which can be nice on the way up when I'm increasing calories back to maintenance. It's nice because I don't gain a lot of weight quickly, but it's also very frustrating on the way down because I also don't lose weight very quickly. Um, I do have to be a little bit more intentional about switching things up. So I found that um, I do well if I go into a deficit for like a couple of weeks and then have like a maintenance break in there. That way it's not giving my metabolism the opportunity to just quickly downregulate. And it's getting that signal back that like, hey, things are safe. We're back at maintenance. It's okay. And then I'll go back into a deficit. So I just have to be a little bit more intentional about the approach when I'm trying to get leaner. Um, fortunately, I've been able to like maintain um, at a place that I'm comfortable with. And the only time that I really ever die, it's pretty much once a year at this point, if I want to do like a photo shoot or something like that. And uh, it it does get frustrating because I have to go pretty low, um, but I also have can't stay low for very long. Um, and I have to be really mindful of stress and, and the amount of working out that I'm doing, uh, making sure that I'm doing all my recovery practices and mindfulness practices and my sleep routine is on point. And, um, so I would just say it's more, I have to be intentional. It's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. And those are a lot of foundations that, you know, I think across the board, even if you, you know, don't have a thyroid imbalance are really important. And I think, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, diet culture paints this me message that we should pretty much always be dieting. And the reverse is true. We should be spending most of the year 
on maintenance and maintenance, enjoying our lives and being present and hopefully more intuitive eating and learning to step away from always tracking everything, having breaks from that. I think macro tracking is so incredible as a tool. And I think it teaches you portion sizes and it really helps to bring awareness. But once you have that down and you've been doing it for a long time, you are able to more easily maintain your weight. And it's in that stage of maintenance where you can actually start to build some lean muscle more easily. And you can go on trips and not have to, you know, think about every bite, lick and taste. And you can really just be present. And so while I think that having phases of being in a calorie deficit and focusing on weight loss can be done from a very healthy perspective and mindset and having the right tools in place, I don't think that it's something that we should be striving for all the time. And you mentioned that you really only do it, you know, once a year. And so can you share a little bit about, you know, if somebody does want to lose weight and do it in a healthy way, maybe they're interested in tracking macros. What are some of the foundational habits that you think are really important for a successful fat loss phase? Um, And then once you have achieved those goals, what do you do next? Yeah. So I think that the foundation should be the primary focus, whether like taking calories out of the equation first, because it's not going to matter if you jump in and out of a calorie deficit, if you don't have the right foundation in place. And what I mean by that is focus on the habits that you're building, uh, the lifestyle that you're creating, because that's going to support everything. It doesn't matter what your goal is. Your goal could be build muscle, lose fat, live longer, be healthier, does not matter. Healthy habits and and a healthy lifestyle is where that all starts from. So that would be things like, are you walking on a daily basis? Are you, you know, to me, I, I include strength training in there just because I think it's one of the most beneficial things you can do. Like having muscle is truly like, it's, it's a life extender. It's, it helps with hormone health and mental health. It, you know, it gives you more opportunity to store more glucose. So you can eat more carbs. It helps with blood sugar stability. Like there's so many benefits to having more muscle. Um, so that's something where incorporate a strength training routine, um, having, you know, a wind down routine, a sleep routine, like things that are just to me, the, the healthy foundational habits are where most people should be focusing their attention most of the time. Daily movement, drinking water, getting some sunlight, you know, connecting with people you love getting quality sleep and having a way to manage stress and, you know, challenge yourself in the weight room. And like, if you do those things on a daily basis, you'll, you probably won't have to focus very much on anything else. And then when it comes to nutrition, the the thing that I focus on first and foremost is quality. And I think that when you start with quality, if I can just like, before I get into tracking everything, if I just try to upgrade my choices a little bit over time, it's going to take me a lot of the way there. Like most people are significantly under eating protein. Most people are significantly under eating vegetables. Like let's just start there. And, and then when we have that like base foundation in place, um, when it comes to, to fat loss, uh, it should just be, you know, again, if you're, if you're new to tracking macros, you take inventory of where you're currently at. Um, and then, you know, start with a very moderate deficit. And again, this is where I think working with a coach can be really beneficial because you don't have to like guess and play the guessing game for yourself, but having somebody to guide you through that process of where you should be um, a healthy place to lose fat at a good pace where it's not going to feel restrictive and 
Um, you've got a lot of these foundational elements in place, but um, take it, you know, short and, and sweet, like a 12 to 16, no more than 16 weeks. Usually that's, that's even a bit much, but you know, somewhere around 12 weeks for your fat loss phase, depending on how much weight you want to lose. And, you know, there's a lot of variables that go into it, but um, that can be just a very short and targeted phase that it has a start date and an end date, which is helpful from a mental standpoint where, you know, like fat loss isn't the sustainable part of the process. And that's why I always talk about the habits first, because that is the sustainable part, the the healthy habits, the lifestyle, that's what sustains you. The reduction of calories and eating less than your body requires to maintain is the unsustainable part, which is why it should be short and targeted and, and to the point like, okay, we we're actually, you know, changing like the thermostat on your body. And so we want to do that and and then basically tell your body again that it's safe and then maintain that result and and solidify that result. And I think so many people only focus on the fat loss part of it and they forget about the part that they want to maintain that result, which is it's like, okay, I lost, you know, 15 pounds in this 12 week phase. That's great, but I want to keep going. I want to lose, you know, 30 pounds. So let's keep pushing. Like, no, let's let's solidify the 15 as the new normal. Let's let's make sure that these habits are still in place. Let's get your calories up. Uh, let's, you know, make sure that you can live life and still enjoy yourself and and be at this new body size. And then after we've done that and we've got you feeling good again, then, you know, in a later date, whatever, maybe it's three more months. In another three months, we'll go back into another deficit. But I think having seasons and phases of Sometimes we're pushing for fat loss. Sometimes we're pushing for maintenance. Sometimes we're pushing for more muscle. Um, and then, you know, it, it's going to depend on the person about how we, um, you know, play that out throughout the year. But above all else, healthy habits, and that's the foundation that's always going to win at the end of the day. Um, and I think uh, just one point on that is it doesn't have to to be ev- like, I, I rattled off a lot of things, but what's more important is you start small with something that you know you can do every single day. Um, so I have a concept with clients called a commitment card. It's one nutrition commitment, one movement commitment, and one personal commitment. And then the, the goal of the commitment card is to make it so small that it's it's harder to not do it. Like a five-minute walk would be like a movement commitment that you can do. Um, I'm just going to have 30 grams of protein with breakfast. That's my nutrition commitment. And then the personal one is I'm going to say one thing I'm grateful for you know, each day. And super simple, but it's going to build self-trust and confidence and it actually creates momentum for those habits to continue. So then when you walk five minutes a day, you're like, well, I, I really enjoyed that. I want to walk 10 minutes. I want to try to hit 10,000 steps. And it just creates momentum and gets the snowball going downhill. And um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's more effective to, st- to smart start small and gradually build from there. Yes. Yes. Such an important point. It's layering on week after week, day after day, showing up, taking imperfect action and just knowing that it's going to look differently based on the season of life that we're in. I think it's really exciting to look at the holiday time and to look at helping clients reverse back up to their maintenance before the holidays so that they can really be present and enjoy that time and to break away from that mindset that we need to always be in these diet phases that actually it's not going to, we're probably going to lose more weight and keep it off for longer. If we periodize the nutrition, if we have these diet breaks and we give ourselves grace and we learn that we now have the tools, we have those foundational habits that we can always go back to. And um, yeah, I love that. That's what you promote and, and the message that you share. So I wanted to, I know we're coming up on time. So um, 
I wanted to do like a little rapid fire if you're cool with that. Yeah. Um, just to get your thoughts on a few fads, but also just personally so people can learn a little bit more about you. Sure. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So we'll start with some fads. Thoughts on carnivore. Um, so I think that most carnivore is done improperly anyway, without like getting in the range of nutrients that you need. So I'm going to say that for like 99% of people, um, it's a no-go. I think there are some rare cases where if you have like severe gut health issues, maybe, um, but even that I'm a little skeptical on. So, um, I would say that uh, you're going to be missing out on a lot of vital nutrients. And to get those nutrients, you probably aren't going to want to eat what you think, what, what you actually have to eat to do carnivore appropriately. Well said. What about keto? Uh, keto is a no, unless it's uh, medical keto for like epilepsy or seizures. Okay. Intermittent fasting? Uh, I would say for like most women, intermittent fasting does more harm than good. Uh, I would say that there are some men because we're less sensitive to stress that can get away with it. I don't think it that it's necessary. I think it's promoted as a magic bullet and it's not at all. And um, I think that the only context for I, where I think it can be okay is if you truly do better and your schedule permits for you to like not have, it's not like a skipping breakfast thing, but maybe you're somebody who's just not super hungry in the morning. Um, but I think for like, most of the population, most women in particular, just eat breakfast. Agreed. Agreed. Um, thoughts on classes like Barry's Boot Camp, F45? Not going to be optimal for body composition, but optimal and doable are different. So if you enjoy it, that's the most important thing. Um, I, I do talk a lot on especially Instagram and I just, I say it very bluntly. Like if you're doing F45 and boot camp classes, you are not training in an optimal way for body composition. But if you enjoy it, then keep doing it. And people are like, well, why are you telling me I should stop doing it? I'm like, I'm saying that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, so I think that if you love the classes and it gets you showing up every day, amazing. Um, just know that it's not going to be the most ideal way to change your body. Yeah. Um, a health trend or fad that you wish would die. Um, Optavia. Is my biggest one. What is that? Optavia used to be Metafast and they, it's very expensive. And they tell you, if you want to see like the most depressing thing, look at their approved snack list. So they have, it's like a thousand calories of, they send you the food. It's all processed like soy based food. And it's uh, about a thousand calories a day. And then you eat their meals, but then they allow you like an approved snack list, which is like, you're allowed like three celery sticks, sugar-free jello. And then they say like, you can have a couple nuts, but be careful because nuts are very high calorie and this could ruin your progress. It's, it's really bad. And they actually had to rebrand because there was a lawsuit against them uh, when they were Metafast. And I think it's the most criminal program out there. And I, I speak against it all the time, but a lot of people still do it. Man, jello sticks and celery. Woo, living it up. Um, all right, so favorite breakfast food right now? Um, pretty pretty standard with eggs. Um, I, I usually do like a really big high protein breakfast. So it's oftentimes I'll do eggs, egg whites, and then usually like whatever protein I had the night before will go in there as well as like a scramble. Um, so it'll be like 
grass-fed beef or some wild-caught salmon or some like ground turkey or something like that. And I'll just do like a big scramble and then um, we'll either have some like sourdough toast or something like that with it. Nice. Okay. On that, this is a new one, but high, what's a high protein hack? High protein hack is just add to what you're already eating. <laughs> I think so many people forget that like if you have uh, four ounces of chicken and you're short, then just do five ounces of chicken. Or if you're having like a lot of times we look at the serving size and we're like, okay, I'm going to scoop out this Greek yogurt, but it has to be the serving size. You can do a, a serving and a half. Like the, the easiest hack is just to, to plus one, whatever you're doing, instead of three ounces, go four, instead of four, go five. Um, I find that to be a little bit easier than like trying to come up with different sources of protein. Yeah, that's great. Super simple and helpful. Um, your favorite treat food? Ice cream. Mm. Best vacation you've ever taken? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would, I have to go Italy. Uh, we went to Italy and hit, uh, Rome, Florence, Venice, and I loved all three Rome. Like a lot of people said I wouldn't like, but I loved Rome and Florence was my favorite. And, um, so my wife and I did that a few summers ago and we still talk about it. We're like, nothing will ever compete with Italy. It was so good. Oh my God. Wait, what year was that? I might've been there at the same time. We went in July of, I want to say 2019. Yeah, we went October 2019, but oh, same trip. Funny. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And by the way, you can eat all the pizza, all the pasta, all the wine and feel amazing, oh, right? Oh, good. And I actually, so we went to Greece last September. It was actually like exactly a year ago. We did too, last September. Oh, hey. <laughs> when were you there? That's so funny. Like mid-September through end of September. Okay, yeah, we were there like right at this time. Um that was actually where I proposed. And so we, um, we did, uh, Athens, um, Santorini and Mykonos. And mm -hmm. I thought I love Greek Mediterranean food. And I was like, this is going to be the only trip that beats Italy's food. But it, I don't think that it did. I think that Italy is still the winner when it comes to the best food that I've ever had. Dang. I loved the food in Greece. It actually topped Italy for me, but Italy was like farther enough back that I feel like if it was like a back-to-back -back trips, I probably wouldn't be able to choose like yeah. some of the best food ever. Yeah, for sure. Uh, cool. So favorite exercise in the gym, if you could only do one exercise. Oh man, I'm so boring. Um, if I could only do one, it would probably be something stupid, like uh, some kind of row variation. Um, I don't, I don't do like, I don't squat really anymore. I don't deadlift. I, I pretty much do mostly like bodybuilding style. And so anything where it's like I can a nice isolation movement, I really like working out back. So I'll just go with like a seated row. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Two more questions. What's an overrated ex piece of exercise equipment or exercise that people are doing at the gym that they probably could skip? Overrated exercise burpees. <laughs> Did we talk yeah. about on my podcast or I can't remember? Um, yes. Yeah, so Burpees are are totally overrated and anyone could skip that. They're or, terrible. Or how about like kickbacks on the stair stepper? Get rid of that too. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay. So last question. What's one thing you wish that people knew about you? Um, one thing that I wish people knew about me. That's a tough one. Um, I feel like I'm I, people get to know me and I, whatever they find out, they find out. But I would say um, that I have 
three amazing, beautiful dogs. If they followed me on Instagram, they would learn that very quickly, though, because that's all I post on my stories. Well, we've bonded over our love for pit bulls too and how they're very misunderstood in this world and society. And they're honestly the sweetest, cuddliest, most amazing dogs ever. Completely agree. That's how you raise them. So this has been incredible. I feel like I could just talk to you for so much longer. I had so many more questions, but maybe we could do a part two at some point if you'd be open to it. And in the meantime, how can people connect with you, learn from you, support you, share all the things? Yeah, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Um, so Instagram, you can connect with me um, at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. I had to think about it for a second. but um, And then uh, my podcast is called Mind Over Macros. Uh, that's where I share anything that's on my mind. It's like my own form of therapy. Uh, I feel like I get more into like the personal development side of things over there, um, which some people love, some people don't. So there's some nutrition talk on there as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah podcast, Instagram, pretty much anything you need, you'll find in either of those places. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. Hope you got some great takeaways that you're feeling really uplifted and empowered. And I know that I am. So again, please do reach out to us. If you have any questions, you want to connect with us, you want to share with us guests that you would like for us to have on the podcast. And as always, Remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight, so be patient and kind with yourself and good things will come. We'll see you next time.